Welcome back to another episode of In Enemy Territory. I'm your host, Maddie Miller, and we've got a great one for you today. Today we're going to revisit a game I was actually at personally, Game 7. That was insane. As well as we're going to talk about the proverbial passing of the torch from one MLB legend to another. So let's get into it. We're going back! May 25th, 2017, Penguins and Senators, Game 7, Eastern Conference Finals. Penguins looking to go back to the Stanley Cup for the second year in a row. Uh, There was a full house that night in Pittsburgh, a good 20,000 crazy Yinzers fired up and ready to go see their boys go back to the Cup. I was there with my brother, and I just remember... Sitting there, I was screaming from the second I walked through the doors till till well after I left. Probably lost my voice for about a week after that game. So exciting. But I remember sitting there and just looking over the crowd, and it was so deafeningly loud in there. You almost couldn't hear it. At the same time, it was it was just overtaking your body. And, and in slow motion, you just see the yellow towels waving around in people's hands and sea of black and gold just such a great feeling before the puck even dropped everyone's amped up ready to go and here we go first period was scoreless everyone got uh, you know the team's kind of feeling each other out typical play very conservatively take a little shot here a little shot there nothing happening second period starts to open up a little bit more and finally, get a, a two-on-one rush with Chris Kunitz and Connor Sheary. Sheary to Kunitz. Kunitz puts us ahead 1-0 after not having scored the entire playoffs. He shows up in Game 7, gets Penguins on the board. We all rise out of our seats and go nuts. Before we even have a chance to sit down from cheering that goal, 20 seconds later, Mark Stone ties up the game for the Senators and a beautiful feed from, from Eric Carlson. Stone goes top shelf on Murray, tie game. We, we, we would uh, end the second period at a 1-1 tie. And, you know, couldn't keep the momentum from that first goal. They tied it up, but Penguins felt like they had command of the game. It was their game to lose on home ice. We felt like they were the superior team, and, and to even be playing Game 7 against the Senators already was kind of rough. They should have had it taken care of, but the Senators took control earlier in the series. Here we are, Game 7, and winner go home. Coming up, third period, tie game. And finally, we get our first power play opportunity of the game. I kept telling my brother, and then this guy who was sitting on my left, all game, I'm just like, just give us one power play. One power play. Nothing in the first, nothing in the second. Finally... Kessel's bringing the puck in. He enters the zone. Dion Phaneuf kind of hip checks him along the boards and interferes. And the ref called him for it. We'll take it. And possibly the most exciting goal I've ever experienced live in person was Justin Schultz firing that home from the from the blue line. Man, I love that guy. He shows up in such 
so many of the biggest moments. And he scores that power play goal with like eight minutes left. And it's the third period of game seven. You go up two to one. And, and right then we all explode because that's it. That's the goal that just bought us a ticket back to the Stanley Cup. Again, less than three minutes later, Senators create a, a scoring chance around the net. Carlson fires it in, who brings off the pipe. Ryan Dezingle backdoor stuffs it home. Matt Murray just got caught not knowing where the puck was. And, you know, great play. Ties it up again and takes it out of the crowd a little bit. And that would be the end, the final score of regulation, 2-2. Two to two. And next goal goes to the Stanley Cup. We go to overtime. Penguins just come out. I don't know if it's something Sully told them in the in the locker room or just everyone kind of knew what to do. But the Penguins just commanded the puck as soon as overtime started for the entire 20 minutes. Total domination of the puck. Scoring chance after scoring chance. Senators barely hanging on for dear life. But Craig Anderson was phenomenal that game. And he, he kept the Penguins out, kept his, his team in it, gave them a shot. And 20 minutes, you know, a fourth period in the books, still two to two. Second overtime, Penguins come out, continue to dominate the puck, put it on net, put it on net. Finally, Crosby gets the puck in deep, pulls up, drops it to Kunitz, fires the knuckleball on net, past Craig Anderson. Penguins are going back to the Stanley Cup. And the crowd just obviously, as you could imagine, we lost our minds. And even right now, just talking about it, I'm getting goosebumps. As you heard my voice note um, in the beginning of this episode, I, I happened to grab a, a voice note of myself losing my mind as, as you hear the horn in the background. We're going back to the Stanley Cup. And those are the moments that we live for, you know. As fans, we just had so much invested and, and so much built-up anxiety, the, the NHL playoffs are just the best thing in the world. And to be there and see your team give themselves a legitimate shot of winning, you know, back-to-back Stanley Cups, no one had done that in 20 years. Unreal. And and again, like in the beginning of the game, like I was saying, when I, when I kind of had that slow-motion, out-of-body experience, just my eyes panning over the crowd, and the la- the volume of the of everyone's screams are just so loud. It's it, it takes over your body. My brother sitting next to me turns to me after I was celebrating that goal, and he tells me to shh. You're being too loud. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, this is verbatim. He tells me I'm being too loud in a room of twenty thousand people screaming. So you can imagine how cr- how crazy I was, but it was just unbelievable i could talk i you know i could talk about this game forever i love reminiscing about this game and it was just such a great moment and hallelujah but even more important than the fact that the penguins won the game and what it meant to pittsburgh and what it meant to myself personally even bigger than that was one of my takeaways from the game was just when i think about it this is why us as sports fans, why we love the game so much, just just the, the entertainment value and like the passion that comes with it and just 
feeling part of something greater than yourself, part of this close-knit group. We've all got the same focus and drive and expectations of what we want. And like, we look around and we're all wearing the same thing as the guy next to us and we're connected and we're, we've all invested so much time into this. And, and it's, just, it's just a wonderful feeling to, to be a part of something like that, especially when your team's winning. It's because there's definitely been years where where my teams have been the worst in the league, and it's just a different feeling. You love them unconditionally for the most part, but when they're winning, you're on top of the world, and just everything is ooh la la, wonderful stuff. And to be surrounded by people who who feel the same way as you is like I'll tell you this: this past winter. I went home from Philly. I went I went to Pittsburgh to go to a game with my dad. And I had never been to a, a hockey game with my father before. So first of all, that was just amazing. But while we're at the arena, I just have this feeling like, yes, I'm home. And then I run into like one of my best friends there completely by chance. And it's just like, I just get all these feelings of like, this is where I'm at. This is where my, my heart is at, you know? run into my buddy, I'm here with my boys, the Penguins, and it's just, you know, I know I'm a nut, but that's a, we sports fans, that's, that's how we are, and it's, it's part of my identity, you know, I wear my Penguin shirt to work every day in Philly, and people are like, oh, you make great pizza, but you're wearing the wrong hat, you're wearing the wrong logo, and I'm like, you know what, I'm from Pittsburgh, and they're like, okay, I guess we could respect that, but you're still wearing the wrong shirt. And I just take pride in where I'm from and it doesn't matter if I'm in the enemy territory. That's a cheap plug for this uh, podcast. Um, no, but uh, you know, it's something I'm proud of and I'll take this till the day I die. Now for some fun facts for the day. In 1978 on this day, the Canadians defeated the Boston Bruins in Boston to win their third straight Stanley Cup. Ultimately, they would uh, win another one the next year for the four-peat. We've got Calgary Flames on this day, 11 years later, defeated the Montreal Canadiens to win their first and only Stanley Cup. And on this day in 1991, we have the Penguins finally beating the Minnesota North Stars to win their first Stanley Cup. And ever since then, the Penguins have been on a roll. We got five cups now. That's right. I said it. We got five. Make it six soon. And the funnest fact of all for the day, a Babe Ruth-related fact, as well as a modern-day fact. What am I talking about, you ask? While doing my research on Babe Ruth, I came across a very interesting article, and it turns out that, because obviously this day and age we are going through a pandemic, Uh, it's not a secret, Um, as it turns out, a hundred years ago, Babe Ruth went through something known as the Spanish flu, which affected hundreds of thousands of people in the country, and... As we all have talked about at length, the Spanish flu hit 
for a brief amount of time, then kind of cleared up when the summer came, and when the winter came, it hit again. Well, guess what? George Herman Ruth got sick, not once, but twice. Not only that, he survived both times. And as legend has it, he was pitching a World Series game and battling the flu at the same time, and he was so ill that between innings he was lying down shivering on the dugout floor, and they would punt him back out to take care of business. And Babe did the trick. Speaking of Babe Ruth, uh, he's the first baseball legend of the day that we are going to briefly cover. On May 25th, 1935, he hit his last home run. Actually, he hit his last three homers. Uh, That would bring him to a whopping 714 home runs, which today is still good enough for third all-time. On the all-time list, he's behind Barry Bonds, 762, and Hank Aaron, 755. He finished his career with Boston that year, 1935. He only played like 30, 30, 40 games max. Um, and just as he had started his career with Boston, we all know he got bought by the Yankees in 1918, and that that started the curse of the Bambino that ultimately cursed the Red Sox for 86 years until the Red Sox finally in 2004 obliterated that by coming back in the playoffs against the Yankees, down 0-3, won four straight, they're back against the wall, went on to beat the Cardinals and break the curse. Um, until that, the Red Sox in those 86 years had been to four World Series and they had lost all four in Game 7. So, heartbreak city for Boston. But in 2004, they diminished that. And since then, they've they've won, including that World Series, they've won four. So, quite been reversed. But let's talk about Babe and his home runs. Because at the time, back in the 1920s, he he was doing something that no one else was doing, and that was hitting home runs. At the time that he, that he set the home run record, the record holder was at 138 career homers. So Babe was just smashing right and left while also being a great pitcher. He was, he was just doing ridiculous stuff, and night in, night out, people were able to watch something legendary happening. And speaking of Babe's home runs, I came across something very exciting to find, which is that little-known fact, Babe Ruth actually hit 715 home runs. Yeah, you heard me correct, and and this blows my mind, because what? (laughs) Like, what? Basically, back... In the 1920s, they had a rule, what we called a walk-off home run today. You know, let's say you're down 2 nothing, You hit a walk-off grand slam, you win the game 4-2. Back in the day, as soon as the winning run crossed the plate, the game was over. So you could only win by one run on a, on a walk-off. What does this mean in practicality? This means that when Bay Knight hit a walk-off home run, with a guy on base in a tie game, a guy on first base, they only credited him a triple. So 
he actually hit a 715th home run, which when they were going through a complete revolutionization of the stats, the stat book and the rule books in the 1960s, for about five days, they actually switched his totals to 715 home runs. But ultimately, they, they re-voted on, on if they should change stats based on what the modern-day rules were at the time. And they, the consensus was that if at the time it was not considered a home run, they can't go and rewrite the, the record books and the rule books because every time a rule were to, to change they would have to rewrite the rules and that's ridiculous. So they gave him, they, they took one back, took one back, but he, he did hit 715 homers. Wouldn't change where he, st- where he sits this, this day and age in third place. Wouldn't really change much of anything except for just, it would, it would just, it would just be so weird to see 715 on the stats. Like if you woke up one morning and saw 715 where 714 was like and that was the record till Hank Aaron broke like that was a long lasting record so for that number to one day change would have been would have been nuts um but on but on that day in May 25th 1935 he hit number 74 he hit 712 13 and 14 and those were to be his last hits he would only play five more games and that was and that was Babe. You know, he went out the same way that his whole career went by just hitting those homers and creating memories that people were were never forget. And on this day, sixteen years later, May twenty fifth, nineteen fifty one, a very very special legend would grace the MLB with his debut. And in my mind, it's it's almost like the passing of the torch from one legend, Babe Ruth. He went out on this day. And on that very same day, 16 years later, Willie Mays would join the MLB and start the, be- the beginning of what would become one of the greatest MLB careers to ever happen, to ever take place. And we'll talk about Willie in a minute. Here we go. Before we get into our next segment, which will be Willie Mays, uh, we're going to talk about today's birthdays. And it happens to be that today, while recording this, is the great Willie Mays' 90th birthday. So, shout out to him. Keep going strong. And uh, like Babe Ruth told Benjamin Franklin Rodriguez in The Sandlot, heroes will never be forgotten. But legends, they never die. So, that's Willie. Willie is definitely a legend. Um, Some other notable birthdays of the day is uh, Brian Urlacher, Hall of Fame linebacker for the Chicago Bears. He definitely was a legend. And he probably must be close to 50 now. But, uh, man... He he played the game like he was a 19-year-old kid for his entire career. He just was everywhere and fast and just, you could tell he loved what he was doing. He was a genius on the field, a nightmare for any offense to go up against. And yeah, definitely never forget that bald head. Another birthday today is Allie Raisman. She captained 
the uh, U.S. gymnast teams for a couple different Olympics. They were they won Olympic gold, pretty sure both times. Uh, she's Jewish, so shout out to my Jewish sister there. And uh, to another birthday today is Kendall Coyne Schofield, probably the most famous women's hockey player I could think of, and I'm. Pretty sure she does some commentating for the San Jose Sharks and NBC's some select games. Pretty sure. So she's doing great. So now let's talk about Willie Mays. Say hey, kid. 24-time All-Star. I mean, that is ridiculous. That is not just consistency, but that's just... A league of its own and this is I mean baseball is a game of consistency with 100 162 games and back then I think it was 154 or maybe even 142 but top of his game in top of the league in the best league in the world for 20 plus years never missed an all-star game that that's just unheard of no one even touches that these days I mean, the guy, the guy in my mind who nowadays is most like Willie Mays was, would have to be Mike Trout, the do-it-all player, you know, rob the home runs and make those catches, make those throws, and just smashing it at the plate. Consistent, always batting three-something. You know, they're always in the voting finalists, if not getting the MVP awards. Unbelievable to watch. I mean, Babe Ruth was was one thing where he would just rip homers, but Willie Mays brought the excitement and the electricity that no one in the game was like him. He was stealing bases. He was he was also hitting the home run. He, Willie Mays finished with six hundred sixty home runs, putting him in second place behind Babe. It was a short period of time where he was like chasing Babe Ruth, but he he got old before he had a chance. You know, fifty four home runs short. That would have at that at the end of his career he was only hitting like thirteen home runs a season. So he 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 knew he wasn't going to catch it. He he said, "I'm not chasing Babe any. You know, I'm not chasing Babe. That's that's not attainable." He did it all. He really did it all. He had that famous catch in the World Series where he was just sprinting back to the infield, straight to the wall to make that catch. And and they say he had the ball headed back towards the cutoff man before he even turned around. Like, he was almost like a like an actor on the field. You know, I never obviously watched him play live. That was, he was retired 20-some years before I was born. But I wish. So he played his career... Started out in New York, the New York Giants, and they they ultimately moved to San Francisco where he played most of his career. But he he won a World Series. He did win a World Series. So when I make the comparison to Mike Trout, there's one thing Trouty hasn't done yet, which I don't know if the Angels will, but they've got Mike, a $350 million man. So we'll see. I'm sure they're going to do everything they can not to waste a generational talent like that, but the the New York Giants did win a World Series. 
they won it in 1954, and Willie was obviously an integral part for them winning winning that champ. They moved. They weren't doing so well financially, though, and they moved out to San Francisco, and, and Willie did his thing there year in and year out. And I actually just saw a stat that I don't know when this article was published. It could be a couple years ago. It could have been this year. I, I didn't see the date, but it, it said that I was reading something up on Barry Bonds, and it said that if you add Barry Bonds, Willie Mays, and Willie McCovey's home runs together, that accounts for 14% of the San Francisco Giants franchise's home runs to this date. That is just ridiculous. The th- I mean, the three of them have about 2,000 home runs, so... It's just unbelievable, the the home run talent that has passed through San Francisco. So I guess this leaves us with one last question. Who is the greatest baseball player of all time? Is it Babe Ruth? Or is it Willie Mays? Or is it someone else? I will leave you with this quote from Sandy Koufax, and I'll let the rest speak for itself. Sandy said, I can't believe that Babe Ruth was a better player than Willie Mays. Ruth is to baseball what Arnold Palmer is to golf. He got the game moving. But I can't believe he could run as well as Mays, and I can't believe he was any better an outfielder. That basically basically sums it up. I mean, Babe was just such an ambassador for the game. He was winning games on the mound. He was smashing home runs like no one had ever seen before. But when you're actually breaking down the talent, Willie Mays seems to really have had the edge. And yeah, that's it for today. Thank you, everyone who made it to the end. Really appreciate it. Honored. And am grateful to be working on this project. I enjoy it immensely and hope you guys enjoyed a little bit too. For more information about when like more episodes are going to come out and what whatnot, I've got a Facebook page for the podcast just facebook.com slash IET podcast and you can follow it on Instagram at IET podcast and if you know me and you want to tell me something good bad whatever about the podcast just text me or whatever you know where to find me and I'll see you next time thank you